Well, last week we looked at Genesis 3.15, and I wanted to touch on this one more time this morning. We saw that Adam and Eve had sinned and have been put out of the garden. Satan had tempted them through the serpent. And now God has come and is pronouncing a future and a judgment upon them. And there's actually two judgments in Genesis 3.15. One is on the serpent itself. And he says that the serpent is going to be uh, on its belly eating dust. And it will be that way throughout its future. Evidently the serpent was standing before this. But now it will have to crawl. I don't know of any other creature that is like this, I mean, lying flat um, to, to move. And uh, even other reptiles, other lizards uh, have tiny feet. Centipedes have tiny feet um, that lift them up off the ground, but not the serpent. So this was uh, Satan used the serpent and the instrument of his temptation uh, receive judgment as well. Satan likes to hide behind an instrument. He, Satan doesn't like to come out in the open. Um, he takes something you're familiar with uh, and, uh, or someone. You remember in Matthew 16 that Jesus told the disciples he was going to have to go to the cross and be crucified and Peter turned to Jesus. This is, uh, this is Jesus' friend. He's been with him for three years. And Peter turns to Jesus and says, Far be it from you to be like this. No, we don't want you to go to the cross. No Messiah should go to the cross. This was out, outside his ideas, theology. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Get behind me, what? Satan, because Jesus recognized behind his friend's advice was the voice of the enemy. And this is the way Satan likes to operate. He wants to, he will come and he will give you counsel or direction in a subtle, crafty, hidden manner. So we have to be cautious with this. But so God is pronouncing judgment on not only the serpent, but also the voice, the Satan behind the serpent. And what he pronounces is, he says his head will be bruised in the King James Version. Uh, Some versions has your head will be crushed. It's a very strong word, actually. Um, It's used in Psalm 139, verse 11, when it says that the darkness covered me. Covered is the same Hebrew word used here as bruised or crushed. It means uh, if darkness covers you, you can't be seen. So he's saying Satan is going to be obliterated. He's going to be removed from sight. There's the, it's a very powerful term. And uh, ultimately that's what happens to him. But uh, there's a passage that's familiar to some of you, and I want us to turn over to it this morning and look at how this comes to pass in the New Testament. 
and that is Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. If you'll turn there, I think that you'll see some of the fulfillment of this. And Revelation chapter 12 begins with a woman who is clothed with light and she is about to give birth. It says in verse 2, she was pregnant and crying out in birth and the agony of giving birth. So this is a woman about to produce a child. Then in Revelation 12, verse 3 and 4, it brings up the dragon. He says, Another sign appeared in heaven, and there was a great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and on his heads was seven diadems or crowns. And his tail swept a third of the stars of heaven, cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So here's a woman about to give birth, and when the, he, the dragon appears, he's waiting till the child is born, so he can kill it. He recognizes something of the seed or descendant of the woman. Remember what it said in Genesis 3.15? A woman will bring forth a descendant, a seed, an offspring, and he will crush your head. Well, here's Satan now in the New Testament pictured as recognizing this could be him and I'm going to kill him. And I think the idea there is seen when Herod recognized that Jesus is the Jewish king and Herod tries to kill him. But uh, Joseph took them down into Egypt and so Herod killed all of the male babies under two years of age in the uh, town of Bethlehem. So I think that's what this is speaking of here. The dragon, verse 4, stood before the woman uh, that he might devour it. Then another event here is chapter 12, verse 5. The Messiah, Jesus, is born. Verse 5, she gave birth to the male child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Now, that is straight out of Psalm 2, which is a prophecy of the Messiah. And so it's speaking of Jesus, the Messiah, And it says, he is going to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And verse 5 continues, and it says, the child was caught up to God and his throne. Now that would be the ascension. Jesus came, Satan attacked him, uh, but Satan did not kill him, did not devour him. But Jesus, after his death and resurrection, ascended into heaven to the very throne of God. And actually, what ends up happening here is Jesus, when he went to heaven, ascended into heaven, he took his humanity with him. He did not, he did not lay off his humanity. He went as a man into heaven to the throne of God so that Satan actually ends up uh, in a worse position because now he's got a man in heaven who's perfectly righteous. And so Satan ends up very frustrated. And then he says in chapter 12 of Revelation, verse 6, that the woman then fled into the wilderness 
where she has a place prepared by God in which she's nourished for 1,260 days. That's about three and a half years. I put these events in the first century. Sometimes we take Revelation and throw everything out in the future, but this is not in our future. This is actually events that took place in history uh, between the birth of Christ and about 70 A.D. When the woman fled into the wilderness, that is talking about the early Jewish church When it was persecuted, they scattered and they went into the surrounding countryside and they hid in the rocks, they hid in the caves for about three and a half years because the persecution was so intense and the Romans were coming in to surround Jerusalem. So they took off and that's where you get a lot of the what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls and uh, documents that have been found that go all the way back to the first century because Christians took all that with them and went into the surrounding countryside. And so that's where you have the woman that gave birth to the child, that is that early Jewish Christian faithful community of believers. They fled the city because of the persecution and the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. Now, there are three big events that take place during this first century era. And you have it here beginning in verse 7. Roman, uh, Revelation 12 and verse 7. Here is the first big event. Verse 7. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, that is the dragon, was defeated. Amen. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Um, Here's the first thing that happened in the first century. Happened in the new covenant. Happened with the ascension of Christ. And that is that Satan who has had access into heaven in the Old Testament, now no longer has that freedom to go into the presence of God. Uh, Do you all remember the first chapter of Job and how that the angels of God, the sons of God, all gathered into God's presence and Satan was among them. And he was accusing Job. Look, if you took away all his blessings, Job wouldn't serve you. Well, what's Satan doing up there? Well, he's the accuser. Then you, uh, I was just reading this morning in Zechariah 3. This is Zechariah 3, 1. If you ever want to check this prophet out, great prophet in the Old Testament. But it says, Joshua the high priest stood before the Lord and Satan at his right hand to accuse him. Now that's Old Testament. Because he, what Satan does, he acts as a prosecuting attorney in the Old Testament. And he goes to God and he says, look at this high priest. He's sinned. Look at the people of Israel. They've sinned. Look at, look at Job. Look at his motives, his true motives. So he's the accuser of the brothers, of the brethren, the church, the people. Now that's Old Testament. He's a prosecuting attorney. But now, what this says here is when Jesus came, 
He was born. The Messiah is born. And, and Satan tries to kill him, but he fails. He ascends into heaven, takes his place at the right hand of God. It says that Satan tried to stop it, and he himself is cast out of heaven. Now, do you see that? They, in verse 8, he was defeated. There was no longer any place in heaven. You might think of it in terms of a, of a, of a lawyer who has been disbarred. The criminal justice system does not permit him to operate and to work in that system. Satan no longer can accuse you to God. He cannot take you to court. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, Now, he can do some havoc down here. Amen? He can uh, talk to you about you. Uh, He can tell you what a failure you are. And, you know, just agree with him. Hey, amen. I'll go along with that. Uh, He can tell you what a failure your wife is. Do not agree with that. He can tell you how bleak is your future. He can tell you you're not a Christian. He can tell, see, he can accuse you to you by putting thoughts in your mind and talking to you through other people. You know what he cannot do? Take you to court. He cannot take you to heaven's court and say, God, no, because you have a representative there. 1 John 2, 1, if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So it's not based on your righteousness, but his. And so therefore, Satan has lost his place, you see. Because in, in that sense, in the legal sense, you've already been found uh, innocent, not guilty, and placed in heaven because Jesus represents you there. So the first thing, the big event is that Satan is thrown down from heaven. Now look at uh, verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So demons can't go up there either. Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, verse 10, a loud voice in heaven said this, Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just read over that. I'd put a circle around that word now, because it's big. These are three big events in the first century. Now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of His Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren is thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. Now, we would say the second big event is that the kingdom of Christ has come. In the Old Testament, they anticipate this kingdom. Oh, when will the Messiah come? But the, the early Jews thought that it would be a kingdom that was political and national with geographical boundaries over in Jerusalem. Something that uh, a lot of people today think. 
But the kingdom has come. And what is that kingdom? Where is he ruling from? Heaven. Where is he ruling over? The world. And all authority in heaven and earth is given to him. I was talking with a lady some years ago. She was scared to death of lightning. And, and every time there was a storm, she said, I cannot be in the kitchen doing dishes or anything whenever there's a storm. It just scares me to death. And I said, let me tell you something. And I gave her Matthew 28, 18 to 20, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So there's no lightning bolt or thunderstorm that can come without his permission and direction. And uh, so I said, so get back to washing them dishes and do your, do your, do your duty. <laughs> Amen. So, so this is something we need to remember, is that the kingdom of Christ has begun. There's no earthly ruler outside his control. He can take them out like that. If he permits them to stay, he permits it for a reason. If he permits a problem to stay in your life, he permits it for a reason. Trust his wisdom in these things. All right, here's the third big event in the first century. And that is, he has given to the Christian weapons to defeat the enemy. Uh, Can you pull that third one up? There. The Christian is given weapons. Look at uh, chapter 12 and verse 11. Actually, some of the... Uh, one of the commentaries I read said, this is the key verse in the book of Revelation. So if it is, then, then here is the verse. Revelation twelve eleven, And they conquered him. They have conquered him. Talking about those first century Christians. The Greek word conquered there is nuke. To, uh, we get our word nuclear from that. They nuked him. <laughs> this is what they what the early Christians did to Satan is the is something similar to us dropping the nuclear bomb on Hiroshima in World War II. See, remember that remember that promise? The seed of the woman is going to obliterate you. You are going to be nuked. So this is the word used here. Uh, uh, The word Nicholas, by the way, comes from this word. So if your name is Nicholas, it means that you are a mighty conqueror. (laughs) It could also mean that you have been mightily conquered. But either, either one of those, either one of those will work. Uh... But look at verse 11. Here's the three weapons that uh, God has through Christ given the Christians so that we can continue to defeat Satan. He says, The accuser of the brothers have been thrown down who accuses them day and night. Verse 11. And they conquered him by... It names three things. Number one, the blood of the Lamb. They conquered him by... The blood of the Lamb. This simply means that every sin, any sin, all sin is covered under 
the blood of Jesus Christ. I never tire of preaching that word. Amen? Oh, how we need that. The blood of the Lamb, covered by the blood, saved by the blood. How precious is the blood. The second, uh, the second weapon that is given to us is, it says they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now what does that mean? That means you can defeat Satan by the way you talk. Can I encourage you here to remember that you are made in the image of God? Now what does that mean? One of the things it means, among many things, but one of the things it means is that you have unlike the animals, the ability to speak a world into existence. Now, I I realize that this idea of speaking with authority and changing things in history is an idea that has been abused. I recognize that. Nonetheless, we must not forget... We are made in the image of God and God who said, let there be light and there was light. Also says this, Romans 4, 17, He calls things that are not as though they were. So He says in Mark 11, Speak to the mountain and it shall be removed. Amen. You can create, and I would even predict for you all this this year and myself, that your future in 2016 will be created by the words of your mouth. You can form your environment. You can resurrect your marriage. You can create a future for your church by the words of your mouth. You can also bring it down. We are made in the image of God and the words of our mouth are powerful to change things. In fact, let me tell you this. When you became a Christian, Romans 10, 9, he that confesses with his mouth and believes in his heart. Look what he put first. He confesses with his mouth and believes in his heart shall be saved. Part of the salvation experience takes place when it's stated publicly. You, you, you change your destiny, you change your future with the words of your mouth. See, and here's the thing. Satan's going to come to you. He's going to give you a conversation that he wants you to repeat. You need to filter the thoughts that come into your mind because every thought that comes into your mind is not from you. And not necessarily true. Thoughts about each other, thoughts about the future, thoughts about your finances, thoughts about uh, your marriage, thoughts about your church. These things come into our mind. These, these are thoughts. We need to filter them. Did that come from God? Did that come from Satan? Or is that just somebody talking to him? Be careful with it. Create a future. Take the initiative in the conversation of your mouth. Um, Listen to Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verse 29. The woman who touched the hem of his garment. 
couldn't get any help from any doctors, spend all her money. Now she's hopeless. But how did she create a future? How did she bring health to her body? She said to herself, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. It was her words. And her words moved her toward him. In fact, the Greek verb is continual tense. She continually said, if I can touch the hem of his garment. And she couldn't get through, but she kept, she kept on saying it. Don't let Satan put a conversation in your head about your future or anything that's valuable to you. You initiate it like God. You're created in His image. Call those things that are not as though they were. That's a, it is the word of your testimony that will defeat Satan in your life. All right. Then here's a third one. And that is that he says, and they love not their lives even unto death. They stayed with it. Even to the point of death. So those tremendous three weapons that God gives to us to defeat the enemy. That is three huge things that happened in the first century. And we have those things today. All right, now let me wrap this up by giving you, what, what can we expect? What should we expect in the light of the crushing of the serpent's head? Well, first, we should expect that our sins are covered, that Jesus knew about all our sins and made provision. Amen. We should expect that no matter what our failures, that the gospel the blood of Christ covers them. Uh, here's a, uh, that little snippet from the life of Peter where Peter said in Luke 22, uh, everybody may abandon you, but I won't. I, I'm faithful. I'll always be faithful. I promise. <laughs> and what happened was that Jesus told him this. This is Luke twenty-two thirty-four. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you've denied me three times. Denied three times, you know me. P- Jesus knew Peter's sin before Peter did. Jesus knew how many sins three times just today. And then Jesus said this, I have prayed for you, Luke twenty two thirty two, that your faith fail not. And when, notice not if you turn, but when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus knew Peter's sins ahead of time and already made intercession and provision. Hallelujah. Do you think that you will have a sin-free life in your future? Uh, Don't raise your hand, I beg you. (laughs) Let me tell you. And you can say, well, that's once saved, always saved. They'll give you a license to sin and all that. No, 
No, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. He said, I prayed for you that though you would fail, and I know ahead of time, Jesus said, I've prayed for you, your faith failed not. When you turn, strengthen others, tell them about my grace. So the first thing we should expect is that Jesus knows every sin we will ever commit and he's and uh, the exact number of them and he's already made provision here's a second thing we should expect we should expect the blessing of god through jesus christ we should expect god's blessing to come on us through the gospel proverbs 10:6 the blessing comes on the head of the righteous. And I would read that and I would think, man, the blessing comes on the head of the righteous, but how righteous do I need to be? And I'm not really that righteous. And so I didn't expect the blessing. Right? But here's what the, here's what the gospel says. You are righteous, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 21. You are righteous through Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, if we read from the new into the old, from the gospel, from our place in Christ, Proverbs 10, 6, the blessings come on the head of the righteous. Then I can expect through Christ to be blessed. Let me give you an illustration. A couple of years ago, maybe it was last year, uh, I had, was going. I went through a period where just just spiritually cold. My my love for Christ, my faith, um, my um, Bible reading time, my prayer life, uh, just was not there. And uh, I did not. You know, when you get like that, you don't expect much from God, right? Then I got uh, Bill. I had had a uh, rental house where the commode was leaking and the renter didn't tell me so I got a bill for a thousand dollars water bill and uh, that was rough and I thought what, what do I expect I'm not close to God I don't even know I've had a prayer time today and so my expectation was so low and I'm not sure what I read but I just went to God through Christ said, I, I pray for your help on this. The blessing on the head of the righteous in Christ. And within just a couple of weeks, the penalty had been waived. The bill had been canceled. The commode had been fixed. And I was flying high. I thought God didn't judge me. It was just a problem in life that comes with having a rental home in the city of Flint. And I, and I was able, by the help and grace of God, to get it done. But I was impressed with the fact that even in my spiritual lull, God's blessing came to me and helped me. Expect God to bless you, not on the basis of your failures, but on the basis of his successes at the right hand of the Father. Hey, uh, you know what? 
We're not Buddhist. Buddhists say, you do bad, you get bad. You do good, you get good. Karma. We do karma. It all's going to come around back to you. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap in a bad way. And here's the gospel. Jesus reaped what we sowed. The harvest of judgment came on him. So I would ask you not to be Buddhist in this thing. But trust in the gospel when you ask for blessing. That's what I would ask. One final thing. We should actually expect God to do more than we can ask or think. (laughs) This is from Ephesians 3.20. Y'all would recognize this verse. We should actually expect God to do more. Paul says... Now to him who's able to do more than we could ever ask or think, be glory in the church. A mother baked chocolate cookies and put out milk for her her little boy when he came home from school and his two friends. And and one of the little friends said to to the boy, he said, did she do that because you're so good? And the little boy said, no. She did that because she's so good. That's what we have in our Heavenly Father. More than we can ask or think. He does it because He's so good. Taking our eyes off ourselves. Matthew 8, verse 1 to 3, talks about the leper who came. And you know lepers were not permitted to be close. Lepers were not permitted to talk to people. In fact, they wore covering over their mouth so that they uh, would not contaminate people with their breath. They were not permitted, according to Leviticus, they were not permitted to go home near the temple or anywhere, and they certainly were not permitted to go and worship. They often died a painful, lonely death. This leper in Matthew 8 heard that Jesus was coming, and he went from a distance, and he said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I will. And then he walked over to him and touched him. That's more than the leper could have asked or thought. See, he didn't ask Jesus to touch him. He just said, make me clean. And Jesus said, I will. And then he went over and touched him also. An expression of affection. How good He is. How good He is. Expect that. Expect it from Him. That is my prayer. These are the expectations that come because His head, Satan's head is crushed. And we praise God for the victory we have in Christ. Let's bow together for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You today for the riches of the gospel and the fulfillment of the defeat of Satan predicted long ago. May Jesus Christ be praised and the goodness of God enjoyed in these coming days we ask it. Amen. Amen.